Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com forward slash auction podcast for your free audiobook download. Hi, everyone. This is Martin Willis with the Antique Auction Podcast, and I have Rain Haynes as co-host on the line. Hey, Rain. Hey, Martin. And we have a great guest today, Kathy Flood. She is a journalist, and she somehow ended up being a jewelry specialist and kind of combined the two together. How are you doing, Kathy Flood? Good, Martin. How are you? Good. Where are we, where are we calling you at today? St. Louis. St. Louis. Is that your home? Yes, it is. The Cardinals didn't make it, but your Giants did. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and you just got back from Rhode Island, is that right? Yeah, I did. The jewelry capital of the world. Exactly. <laughs> Isn't that place fabulous? It is fabulous. It really is. I was just going to say, I, I went for the very first time, probably, I kid you not, 20 years ago. Really? And, and got, yeah, and got to go probably some of the similar places that you went to. All the manufacturers of all the costume jewelry that was there, it just blew my mind. Totally. And I'm, I am um, going into business with uh, someone um, who, it's full circle because I got into jewelry partially because of this person, and we became friends, and his father is one of the all-time great, uh, historically great uh, jewelry designers who founded Gemcraft, and his name was Alfio Varecchia, and my friend is Paul Varecchia, and so they've been around a long time, and they're one of the Gemcraft um, is one of the few companies still left and making um, jewelry here in the United States. So it's always good to support uh, people like Kenneth J. Lane because they still have their jewelry made in America. America as opposed to China or yep. somewhere else. So yep. are we getting a little a little clue into you having your own line of jewelry? Is that what you're kind of leading up to? Yeah, I, we've got a lot of different plans. He, he's, he's been around, Paul's been around, he's a really great designer and has been around for a long time. And when I, the, the way I got into jewelry, Rain, was that I simply, you know, after a long week of work, went to a hair salon to have my hair cut, opened Vogue from the back, and there was uh, this lineup of 18 brooches that really made me see that jewelry was collectible and was art. I, and I'd never, that had never really hit me before. I just treated it before as jewelry. And so I immediately went to a store to get one of these, and it was by this guy, um, Paul Varecchia. So, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting that you bring that up because I remember last, I think it was last fall or last summer, I was looking at a Vogue magazine and they, you know, were showing the upcoming fall, you know, the fall lineup, and there was five pages of girls with, you know, all this wonderful designer clothing on, but each one of them had arms of fake light jewelry. Ah. And they had eight by brooch, and they were all vintage, not newer stuff. Ah. You know, and I thought, I thought, how smart is that? But you know, the thing of it was, is that people that were reading the magazine would have had no idea that this was vintage jewelry. I mean, unless you knew, you know what I mean? So it didn't you know, say it. You were a collector, you, it didn't say it. And it oh. didn't give any clue as to, to, to how to acquire it, dealers to sell it. And I thought, God, what a missed opportunity here. It's such an opportunity to plug our market, and, they, and the, you know, the magazine just failed. It just, it just it let us down, but I was, just, I was glad to see it. it was, oh, wow. Yeah, that's fascinating because that's exactly what happened to me when I first saw this article so many years ago. I looked for the person whose, whose brooch just captivated me. I looked for him for 10 years. And so, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And finally found him. Um, and, and, and so I was going to mention that we have a big auction, jewelry auction, starting Monday. 
uh, and his stuff is in it, and that was Stuart Freeman. And the, the fascinating story about that reign is that he was the darling of Vogue editors, so his jewelry was always featured in um, the editorial sections, and wow. so then he put it away. So we've got it in the auction that was all pulled out of storage from the 80s, so it's really great stuff. So. It's Captain? a crazy world. Another subject. Let's talk really quickly about this auction. Yes, Tell Captain. Me, just going to ask it. Can the listeners find something out about this? Where can they see the catalog? It's um, it's at. Uh collect.com auctions and if they would like to get a print catalog for free they can just email um, auctions at collect.com and simply put jewelry catalog in the subject line and their name and address and they will mail them a print catalog for free and there's really fun stuff in it so everything from vintage bakelite to um, jadeite and uh, gorgeous uh, gold platinum and gems and uh, wonderful costume jewelry so full range and you can uh, you know, things open from ten dollars to fifty thousand. So. so they have something for everybody. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. So I was going to tell you something right quick that um, that I kind of thought related my situation relating to what you were just saying. You know, I've um, I have been a, a glass collector and dealer for a very very long time. Yeah, and I've always been a, a big fan of, of Louis Vuitton, Tiffany, and Frederick Carter, along with many many other artists for all different kinds of reasons. But, uh, you know, I, I started looking at glass and, and thinking to myself, how can I make glass into jewelry because I'm a girl? <laughs> and, you know, what girl doesn't like jewelry? And so there was a line, and, and, and I don't have it finished yet, but I, I just got the prototypes done, but a line of jewelry that I've had made. Really? Inspired, yep, inspired to me by Frederick Carter. So I love hearing stories like what you were just saying because, you know, I think I'm a little crazy. And I'm like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make my own line of jewelry, and it's not going to have really anything to do with a jewelry person. It's going to have to do with an art lab person. <laughs> oh, my God. I hope, somebody, I hope somebody gets it. But I oh, hope so. But that's anyways, exciting. I'll, I'll have to email you, and I'll have to show you. Well, it'll have to be in the next book. You are the jewelry person. <laughs> what do you think of my silly little creation? Oh, I'd love to see it. That's really exciting, Rain. Well, when I got into it, the first thing I saw in Vogue was um, it happened to be, it was a November issue, so it happened to be Christmas trees, and that's what I got into. So I, I designed some of my own, too, because I did. I kept thinking, what would Picasso do if he were designing Christmas trees? So I did one like him. It's called the Picasso. Yeah, yeah. It's God. a cubist Christmas tree. <laughs> I think it's probably a good thing that you live where you live and I live in the deep south. <laughs> I think the two of us together might stir up a little bit. We might be trouble. <laughs> I well, think we should you know, live where Martin lives. Jewelry and inspired by, I mean, here you are making jewelry inspired by Picasso. I'm making jewelry inspired by Frederick Carter. Yeah. Oh, I would have. But you know what? Obviously, we're people listening to outside the box. And you know, I was going to ask you, because I saw that you wrote a book about collecting costume jewelry Christmas tree pens. Yeah, I, I remember I used to buy these for people for gifts for Christmas. Every mm-hmm. friends of mine. Really? I was, yeah, I, I totally do just because I always thought it was cool to give people something that was vintage because that's what I do. And all my friends, you know, I would give them, a, you know, maybe a 1950s or 60s Murano candy dish or I would try to find them some fun piece of jewelry or I would make them, you know, a Christmas card, have an old postcard, mm-hmm. and mount on the, you know, whatever it may be. Yeah. And, and I always thought the Christmas tree pins were so fun. And so when I saw the link on Amazon to all the wonderful books that you've written, I saw the one about Christmas trees, and I'm like, you know what, let's talk about the Christmas tree pen book, because even though you wrote it a couple of years ago, this is still very relevant, and you know people are going to be out there looking at this kind of jewelry, yeah. much like me, to, to, you know, to buy, to either wear themselves, or to give to a friend, a colleague at work, or whatever it may be. I, I couldn't believe 
And I guess I can believe that there are enough designers of Christmas tree pens to fill a whole book. Well, when I, oh, the, that, the book you saw is simply unsigned. There are no designers in that. None of them are identified, so I still have to do the huge signed book. But um, when I, that's what I mean. When I first saw this Vogue article, it happened to be Christmas tree pens. Well, you know, it's Vogue, right? So it's the greatest designers. It's not just junk. So they were beautiful, and I think that's why it was so stunning. And I think at the time, if you would have asked me, there were 18 Christmas trees there, and if you would have asked me, I would have guessed maybe in the whole world, maybe there were 50 designs. I think there's 5,000. I mean, I wound up... Yeah, I mean, as a collector, I wound up with 3,000 Christmas tree pins. Oh, wow. All different. (laughs) I've seen a lot over the years. You know, they always make me smile. And, of course, they always come out starting around, you know, November. Yeah. You really start to see the dealers pull them out and put them out for sale. And they always make me smile. But me too. Me too. Like you haven't seen before. Like, I don't ever remember looking at, like, a jewelry train saying, oh, I have that one. Oh, I've seen that <laughs> one. It's, it's always something different. I know. It's impossible. And yet, there, there it is. Well, look, when you tell me that there's 5,000 of them, that explains why I have not seen, you know, <laughs> Yeah, and I, I consigned 100 lots of my rarest ones to this auction that starts Monday. So check it out, because there's some really great ones. Okay, so you know can I, take just a second right there. Um, I did mention to both these fine ladies that I probably wasn't going to talk too much on this uh this podcast, which is fine, um, because <laughs> it's a, a subject I'm not too involved in, but I'm sure our listeners will love it. But the question I have about the auction, why don't you, you gave the particulars, but why don't we say um, the dates and all that, because this podcast will be up on our site for, you know, probably a few years at least. So go ahead. Okay. Um, well, Martin, it starts um, Monday, October 25th, and it runs, uh, it closes at midnight, I think, on November 11th. So that's 2010, in case anybody's listening to this in a different year. <laughs> but okay. it ends on November 11th. Okay, very good. Yeah. Okay. So where were you at? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I know, that's okay. I knew you were trying to ask something in there. <laughs> okay. He doesn't ask anything. This is jewelry. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I have to tell you what I saw today, too. And, and somebody on Facebook brought my attention, and I absolutely loved it. One thing that I like, and I don't know why, probably because I'm weird, is I like the Day of the Dead stuff, you know, the, the Mexican little skeletons and stuff, and they made the Oh, my God, my mother-in-law was like a total Day of the Dead freak. Are you serious? Oh, yeah. I like all the vintage stuff. Anyways, um, Pam Wiggins, I'm sure you know who she is. Uh-huh. She posted today a photo of a brooch that she has, that uh, Day of the Dead skeleton brooch, with, you know, this kind of uh, costume, you know, rhinestones and stuff surrounding it. I'm like, oh, my God, I have to have that. Oh, my gosh. She says to me, she says to me this is... This is mine, but if you check eBay, they show up every now and then. And sure enough, she went and searched and found one, and you'll link to it. And the artist's name is Larry, and it's B-R-B-A. Uh-huh. Larry Verba. Uh-huh. Anyways, it's obviously a contemporary artist. Yeah, he is. I've never heard of him before. And these things are just fabulous. And I was going to ask you if you've, like, if you've seen a lot of these and because I've never seen one of these. And I have loved Day of the Dead stuff for, for so long. Well, I know Larry through Christmas trees, so I never really branched out into his other areas. But, um, yeah, I, I did not know he did Day of the Dead uh, motifs. But uh, certainly he's really well known for Christmas trees. 
So he's another tree guy, but he apparently gets into Halloween too. Yeah, I guess he's uh, an equal holiday, you know, maker. But um, yeah, well, I mean, again, you can see you can see the set I have. He um, he did it. He created it for a book that did was never published, and so it's a it's a gorgeous Christmas tree set. That and that's in the auction too. Not to keep hammering at the auction, but gorgeous, really uh, rare Larry Verba set. So he's great. But you know, again, I mainly know him through through that uh, holiday motif. So. But I'm glad you got that, Rain. That's exciting. Oh, I haven't bought it yet. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm looking at it. I want it. I, I, I probably will buy it. I probably will buy it. You know, I have to wait until the end of the auction. And, you know, anyway. But, yeah, I'm in love with this stupid thing. Um, my next question for you is, um, from an investment standpoint, you know, I know that everybody should collect something just because they love it uh-huh. uh, or any other reason. But mm-hmm. everybody asks me these kinds of questions all the time. Well, if you had money, what would you park your money in? What do you think about the the contemporary jewelry market? Do you see things that you feel like would be something to buy and put away because you think is better quality and will become more collectible in time? Uh, you know, is there any kind of input you have towards that? Definitely, and, and it, the question comes up a lot more these days, much more than ever. Um, and, and I had no idea how many of my own clients uh, were invested in the stock market until they lost a lot of money. And so the, the question now, more than ever, is when they are looking at something or thinking about something, they always ask, do you think it's a good investment? And that people truly are turning to jewelry, and I know other um, antiques and collectibles for that reason. And they just don't mm-hmm. want to even deal with the possibility of losing money again. And I, I had just written in a, in a book that, um, you know, how the English and well, I guess the British and, and Europeans are probably more organized than we all are in terms of really putting aside X amount of their portfolio into antiques and collectibles. And I, it's much stronger now. So, yes, that question comes up all the time. And, um, you know, I look at somebody like today, like in costume jewelry that really goes over sometime into fine jewelry too, uh, like one big name in costume is Alexis Batar. That's just hot. He's hot. And then um, uh, Iraj Moini, everybody's talking about him and his stuff really seems to increase in value greatly. And uh, and then, you know, a lot of the French designers and, uh, you know, I'm thinking of big show pieces by uh, Hannah Bernhard and, uh, well, there's numerous ones. And then, you know, you get into the vintage European and all that. But, uh, yeah, people are very aware and they're really bent on that. So even in something, again, um, like uh, figural jewelry, which is the category Christmas jewelry falls under, people used to sort of splurge on things they simply liked, you know, that was fun or whatever. And now they're much more aware of who they're buying, what names, and will these things increase in value. So it really is a huge concern. I guess I will tell anybody. I hate when people ask me that question because I always feel like, well, I, I don't have the, the magic eight ball. I don't have the magic eight ball. Yeah, right. So you can't really see into the future, but you, you probably, like me, in many aspects of things, you see a trend. You see a growing trend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like a consistent trend is what I like to say. I, you know, I tell people I can't tell you that any of these things are going to be worth anything tomorrow. However, what I can tell you is what I've watched over the last 10, 20, 30 years that mm-hmm. have you know, continually increased by 5 to 10% a year. Right. That the, the auction houses continue to sell, that there continues to be interest in, you know, uh, yes. that you see articles written about it, you see it showing up in magazines, whatever it may be, you, you have more than just your own personal opinion. Oh, totally. 
Absolutely. There's a big trend in, in sterling silver jewelry and certainly by, you know, studio artists and uh, contemporary avant-garde artists. So there's that whole field. And then uh, for sure in something that's very much in the news now is jadeite and uh, you know the Chinese are buying it to bring a lot of it that, that was here back to Asia and it you know right. you can see the results in auctions oh my gosh the auction result for, for jadeite is, is phenomenal for Chinese antiques across the board yeah it's because mm -hmm. China has you know China has more money and more millionaires than ever before and exactly. they're starting to want to buy their heritage where they didn't have the money to or they didn't seem to have the interest to before it you're the first time anybody has really said much to me about jewelry they talk a lot about porcelain and they talk a lot about sculpture and, and artwork and stuff, but you're the first one that has said, you know, that they are buying. I mean, I've watched it myself, but you're the first kind of expert out there that has said, oh, no, 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 they're buying that too. Yeah, they I really are. But they're really teaming up with a lot of dealers here to buy in quantities. You know, it, all kinds of Chinese antiques and having things shipped back. Exactly. And, and I get the feeling, much like Japan, that when things go to Japan, they'll never come back. They'll oh, yeah. Never come back on the market over here, and I'm, I'm beginning to feel like the same thing is probably going to be the case for China. And I think it happened with Russia, too. Uh, yeah, in China, I, I have a friend in uh, L.A., and she said that she, she, there's a, um, a, an antique store nearby, and the window was full of jade. It was all gone, and she went in and said, where did it go? And they said, oh, you know, some, some Chinese from, you know, mainland China had come and, and bought everything. Huh. And, um, wow. So, you know, it's I pretty interesting. Store. I'm sorry? I've been working up in my store. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, it's exciting. I mean, I, I loved learning about Jada. It was fascinating. And, and my my Chinese, my new Chinese friends were telling me that in China, a group of, uh, whereas here in America, if a group of American billionaires got together, they might be talking about which sports team they wanted to buy. There, they are talking, Chinese billionaires are talking about the jade they want to acquire. So. Hmm. I know very, very little about jade, and I know that it's been made for many centuries. And I have a few pieces that clients have given me over the years, usually it's a Christmas gift. And, and I have been told, and, I'm, and I don't know if this is accurate or not, and, and maybe you know, but the jade that, that offers more than one color in jewelry. Is, yeah, and this would be the place that, that our editor, Mark Moran, would want me to plug uh, my book, Warman's Jewelry, for the edition, because it's got a huge chapter on jade in it. And yeah, all the colors. It's like technicolor, you know? I had no idea that, that that was in your book, and uh, and I, I did see that you had a new book that came out in July, and uh, so now that I know that, I will pick that up because I do see a lot of jade, and I'm one of those kind of people that I, I like to know about things that I see that are outside of my area of expertise because I'm sure I probably pass up on a lot of things that, that are there in front of me. Well, Ray, I think... Yeah, and I think that the, the reason this is probably the most uh, talked about chapter in this particular book is because it is, it really has been out of the uh, range of expertise of, of most people, and it's such a complicated subject. And I think, I, if, you know, if you talk about expertise being like a Ph.D. level, I think I started off in nursery school, and I'm about in high school now, but it's so complicated <laughs> and yet beautiful and, and spectacular. And in the auction, there are, some of it is absolutely technical. I mean, there's red, there's, you know, lavender, and... And I, I love the white mutton fat jade, you know, that was actually Chinese, because all of the great gem jade is actually from Burma, but the old white mutton fat jade was actually from China. And, you know, then you get into the difference between jadeite and jade or nephrite, and it's, uh, it's rather complicated, but well worth it. And Martin, I know if you look at this, you will fall in love with jadeite, too, and become a big collector. Well... Now I, I do. I do know. He just hasn't told anybody yet. <laughs> yeah. Now I, I do know that I've been to auctions and I've seen a jade and jadeite that um, 
Uh, I'm not talking about jewelry, but other pieces. And they'll look very, very similar. And one will go for 10000 And then one beside it that looks very, very similar will go for 300 Exactly. And it's just, and I know there's little subtleties. Because I, I know what I don't know. And, exactly. I, and I know that, there's, <laughs> that there is a huge difference. And I could greatly be walking past something that's worth a lot of money. You know, but I stand there scratching my head and I look at it and, and to me, my untrained eye, yeah, well, this looks nice, this looks pretty, this looks like something I've seen that has had a larger price tag on it, but is it? And, and Absolutely. You know, so that's, I shy away from that, but if, if there's the opportunity to learn more about that in your book, well, I'm certainly good. Yeah, there is. And, and people who have studied it for a long time get fooled and there was just a huge article in the New York Times about um, people uh, gathering jade out of the jade, white jade river, I think, in western China, and even people there who know it get duped all the time. So it is a tough subject, but if you start low and just get involved cheaply with what you like again, I think, you know, you can you can come out ahead and have a lot of fun with it, because it's beautiful. Now, do they do yeah, testing, I, I, stone testing on, on jade? I'm sorry? Do they do some type of testing on jade? Do they? Yeah, and especially now, because the, you know, uh, so, you know, you've got your best, which is the fine A jade from, you know, Burma. Myanmar, and uh, and then, but now they've they've done so brilliant. This scam artists have gotten so good at mm-hmm. uh, you know putting out the fake stuff that yeah, only some we have a, a large collection from a company called Mason K, and they have a special uh, machine. I'm sure that's not the word you should use, but something that it, you know will do definitively test it because it's it's impossible they say to tell when some things have been dyed or you know pigment has been right. added. Mm-hmm. So it's tough. Mm. But That's right. I've heard they've died. Similar to, to uh, like other gemstones and stuff that are heat treated or or exactly. And now with the you know radiated, huge popularity, radiated, heat treated, exactly. Yeah, and you, well, yeah, you know, as soon as something, no matter what it is, starts mm-hmm. to have uh, you know a strong uh, you know increase in value, there's going to be somebody out there trying to figure out a way. Color diamonds, you know, so popular, the diamond story of the 21st century, and now they've come out with some really great sort of film that I think goes over it. So it's tough out there, you know. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I love color diamonds. I, I love color diamonds. So I, me I too. <laughs> that is something that I follow, and uh, yeah, and you know, it's like that kind of stuff scares you because yeah, there's a lot of money that you know you you could be spending only to find out. Yes, that would be a bummer. Hmm. Be a large bummer. Have a favorite? Do you have a favorite? I mean, are you a collector or are you just a dealer? I'm a collector. Foremost, I'm I am a collector, and um, yeah. <laughs> so besides Christmas trees, you mean? <laughs> No, you know, it's not that. It's that a lot of dealers that I talk to, because I'm a collector also, and a lot of dealers say there's this big argument that you can't be a collector and a dealer. Really? And Yeah, and, and I've been told this for years, and I say, help me understand something. If I'm a collector, that means I have a passion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how can I, as a dealer, how can I get you excited about something that I don't really have any kind of emotional tie to? Exactly. How am I, I mean... I totally I agree. Tell you, if I if I don't if I'm not in love with this, how am I gonna make you in love with it? Absolutely. So it's always interesting to me to find is a dealer a collector also or just straight this is your business, this is how you make your living and and, yeah. and that's okay too. There's plenty of people out there that that's okay, they're knowledgeable, they're an expert and whatever it is, but they at the end of the day they wanna close the door to the gallery and go home. Yeah, they might as well deal in cattle as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> That's right, Mark. Yeah. I, I agree with you 100%, but I know that there's going to be people that listen that do not agree whatsoever. Yeah, I loved it because I got in as a collector and I was a journalist, so I got to write about it all the time. So I got to, like, spread the word that way. So that was fun. And then I don't even know how I started dealing in it, but I did. And that's fun, too. You know, I, I love the whole the whole scheme of it. I really do. It's fun. 
And I had a great, I had a, I'm sorry? Are you a journalist anymore? Yeah, uh-huh. I mean, I had a, I did the um, antiques and collectibles column for the Chicago Tribune, um, and then, uh, and then somebody, I guess, then I started writing for Krause, and did the, I did a, my first book for them was on figurals, so it was all kinds of figurals from, you know, faces to, you know, flowers and all that, and, um. So, yeah, I write for a number of people and still think of myself probably mainly in that way. But quite <laughs> a few books. It shows on Amazon. So, I, uh, And I like the fact that we're under the same publisher. Yeah, me too. So, yeah, we have, we have lots of things in common. The Christmas tree thing. I know. And now we both, have a, we both have a field guide coming out, too. So We do. We both have a field guide. <laughs> now, you're, I'm rain. You're flood. Uh, you're, <laughs> oh, that's right. You're <laughs> snow. But, yeah. Oh, Jesus. i got to pick up a handle <laughs> here. Now. So, I mean, maybe we're, maybe we're civil, really. Maybe we're civil. <laughs> <laughs> personality portraying us, too. I don't know. Well, what, you, what do you, you think? I, I live in Texas. You kind of sound alike, too, you know, which is a little scary for me. But, Do uh, we? A little bit. Yeah. I don't know what I sound like, Martin, so I'm yeah. taking your word for it. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> if I can interject a question here. Um, yeah. what, uh, what would you say to, let's, uh, some of the listeners or a lot of them may be novices. What would you say to the novice if they're interested in collecting, um, let's just say, mm, costume jewelry? Okay. Well, Martin, I would say that, um, it, first of all, you cannot find a bigger feast. I think of people in certain areas, niches, categories, and they go out and they look and they look and they look, and there's nothing, <laughs> you know? And so um, mm-hmm. costume jewelry, I can go out any day, pretty much anywhere, and I can see a dozen things I've never even seen before. So the category is so enormous and exciting. And I'm, I'm not even talking about, you know, like a department store. So I'm talking about an antique shop, an antique mall, or online. And you, you, it's so huge. They've been making jewelry for so many years. That, I mean, you're so spoiled. So that if you collect anything else that is either scarcer, <laughs> you know, not as broad, and is larger, oh my gosh, I... You know, jewelry is it. You're, you're just so lucky to be in that area. So novices would do well by it. I don't think it's going anywhere. Um, I don't know if we'll ever see prices again, perhaps like there were in the 80s, because it was like crazy. But it still does well, and you can earn a living, and you can enjoy collecting it too. And I guess getting started, I would look around, let yourself fall in love, fall madly in love, and then once you do, stick with that, but immediately start branching out, because I didn't do that. I mean, I stayed so long in figural costume jewelry that I really lost out by not branching out. So, you know, get to know that area that you love very much, but start looking around and learning. You know, it's so easy to learn now. So um, I would just do those things. You can have a lot of fun. It ne- the excitement and fun really never ends with uh, costume jewelry. And it's a good place to be, and you're going to find some real treasures. And the nice thing is, is a treasure in costume jewelry costs really so little, you know? <laughs> My next question for you is, um, what what is your feeling about, I mean, I've seen a lot of very beautiful pieces of costume jewelry. They're out there, but they're missing a stone or two. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would have to think that um, for older pieces, it's challenging to find a replacement stone. And, and, and if it is, or even if it isn't, if, it, if it's easy to find a replacement stone, um, how much does that value a piece? I, I know that being in the glass, world, if there's a chip to the rim, uh, a crack, 
and you've had to have it repaired or you didn't have it repaired, it, it takes the value down, unless the piece is exceptionally rare, to about 10 to 15 percent of its value had it been in that condition. What, mm. what is the equivalent for a piece of costume jewelry? What happens there? Well, you know, what you're talking about with glass is a lot different from a missing stone. And then, of course, there are stones and there are stones. Uh, first of all, you're talking to a person who does not care about that at all. I don't care. It matters not at all to me. And I know there are people to whom it matters when it comes to jewelry. I don't. Um, you know, there are lots of vintage stones out there. There are people who specialize in having, you know, getting that done. So I always think as long as you tell a person who's buying it that a stone or multiple stones have been replaced, I think it's fine. And I don't think it, you know, it, there are people, I mean, if, if a stone is in there and it's cracked or something, some people do care a lot about that. If the piece is really beautiful, special, rare, I, you know, I don't know, maybe 10%, but uh, it's so negligible for me, I don't even relate to it. Now, you know, other there are other problems that could be more serious. You know, if something's beautifully enameled and enameled, the enamel is missing or cracked or whatever, you know, creasing or whatever, that's a whole different thing. Or if something's wrong with the, the, the pin finding or something's been replaced, something larger, it, it can have an effect, but I'm not one who cares about that a lot. So you're probably not talking to the right person. Mm -hmm. Are there are there people that just specialize? And this, this is probably a very silly question, but I don't know the answer, so I'm going to ask it. Are, are there people that specialize in just restoring uh, jewelry for people? So if they have missing stones, then you know, like somebody like me, who I, you know I love uh, costume jewelry, but I, you know I, I just buy whatever I love. You know I, I know some names. I'm not you know I'm I'm far from an expert. I you know, but if, if I found some people that I wanted to have the stones replaced. Would it be easy for me to find somebody who, who yeah, there definitely are people. I don't know anybody who just does repair or replacement, but there are, there are absolutely, yeah, and you can easily find them. And a lot of them have stones they will give you. Um, you know, some people specialize in gathering vintage stones um, and have even quite some rare ones. There, you know, I'm thinking of a, of a, there's a swan by Rynad that has spectacular baton stones, and it has it in its tail feathers. And, to, and for some reason, that is a rare piece, but it often shows up with one missing, and that's a tough find, and yet you'd never pass it up because it's a beautiful pin, and I know most people would never pass it up. But, yeah, it's going to be hard to find that stone. But, yes, there are people who do specialize in, um, you know, harvesting ones from beat-up jewelry. That's what a lot of people do. And it's a good idea, too, for anybody listening. You know, if you if you see a cheap piece that has some great stones, pick it up, you know. Hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, that, that makes sense. I, I see what you mean about harvesting, and I, and I know what you mean about enamels because I, one of the things I do collect is enamel jewelry from the Art Nouveau era. Oh. And, uh, I oh. like Riker jewelry. Oh. Riker out of New Jersey. Yeah, Riker out of New Jersey makes some really beautiful. But I, I've seen beautiful pieces, and you look, and, and, and you know, a quarter to half of the enameling is gone and shipped away, cleaned off, worn off, whatever it may be. And so, do you buy it anyway, right? No, I don't because okay. you know what I and it's more about for me. Um, I've had to like rein myself in, ha ha ha, you know, a handful of times over the years because I'm one of those people who truly could just go and buy and buy and not care. <laughs> and the next thing you know, you don't have any more space. <laughs> you first, I mean, I've gone and pulled out things in boxes where I haven't looked at this stuff in years. Forgot I even had it, and I'm like, okay. Why do I have to? Send it on up, Ryan. Send it on up. I'll look at it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, but it, it, it's funny because, you know, it's like I haven't looked at it. I haven't worn it. I forgot I had it. It was safe or whatever. And then I'm like, I should probably get rid of it. <laughs> 
And then I'm like, who am I kidding? It's jewelry. Why would I want to sell that? You know, but, the, but I'm like that with everything, you know, whether it's glass or pottery or, or whatever it is. It's like I, even things that I started collecting 20 years ago that are uh-huh. beneath my collection now. Something about some of the stuff just makes me smile. I'm oh, like, absolutely. Oh, geez, I can't I like it. And it, you know, it's like, and then I get it home and I'm like, I have no place. Like but see, that's the problem with jewelry. You always do have a place for it. It's small, you know? Right. I always <laughs> envy people who collected perfume bottles, like a lot of the, the, the Frederick Carter and the, the DeVilbus, you know, perfume uh-huh. collectors. Because you can have lots and lots of perfume bottles, and you're not talking about taking up a lot Or people that collect nut dishes or salt dips or yeah. you know, butter pats. These little bitty tiny things. I'm like, why don't I ever collect things? <laughs> I know. I mean, you can, you know, in a large drawer, you can probably fit a thousand pieces of jewelry. You know, it's great. <laughs> I want, I want one day to have a bathtub just full of jewelry. Oh mm-hmm. <laughs> now, uh, can we name? Now, I, I've seen the name. Um, I think it's something like Miriam or Miriam Haskell or uh-huh. something like that. Are there some other names you can throw out that, um, say, people could look for that that actually have some good value? Oh, yeah, Miriam Haskell is one, and the funny thing about that, Martin, is that some of her unsigned earlier pieces are even more valuable than the signed. Hmm. Um, but, you know, it takes a while to get into that and figuring all that out, but that's just sort of an anomaly that someone could be aware of. Yeah. I would say Hattie Carnegie is really popular right now, vintage, and then, you know, the big the big Rhode Island names of, you know, Trafari and uh, Coro and all those old companies. Eisenberg, of course, has oh, yes. long been. Heard that one, yeah. Yeah. Um, White. Uh, yeah, uh-huh. Um, you know, Coro. I'm sorry? Coro. Yeah, that's what I said, Coro. Coro Craft and Coro Craft Sterling Pieces. And we've got a lot of that in the auction. Um, and uh, um, there's, you know, Juliana, another tough one because um, it was a company called Delitza and Elster, Elster, and they didn't uh, sign their jewelry. They made it for a lot of other companies, including, you know, Hattie Carnegie and Weiss. And um, and but theirs isn't signed. But they did for a couple of years. They did their own line, which was Juliana, and it was tagged. So that's very hot right now because it's heavily, heavily jeweled, and they used a lot of art glass stones. So there's a couple of books out on Juliana jewelry, very popular. Um, and uh, and then there's you know another company too, Celro, that um, or that's the that's the name on it, and a lot of that isn't signed. So there's a lot of really kind of interesting stuff that isn't signed. Oh, and one really interesting thing I want to tell you about that we have in the auction: someone bought the jewelry from a shuttered uh, Wisconsin store that closed in 1959. She bought it, has kept it all these years. So we've got in the auction kind of interesting stuff because it's like 1959 frozen in time. Nice. You can identify a lot of things from that. So for instance, one thing is this huge daisy pearl, and it's it's a necklace, bracelet, earrings, brooch, ring, and I'm almost positive. It's, it's 1959, so I'm almost positive it came. It was manufactured because of Jean Kerr's uh, Please Don't Eat the Daisy novel. And hmm. it was before Doris Day's movie. But anyway, it's kind of interesting to actually be able to know, oh, all this stuff is 1959. So there's, it, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I love Time Capsule Stories. I'm sorry, go ahead, Martin. Oh, I was just saying I love Time Capsule Stories. It's always exciting. Yes, and this is great. And, you know, none of it's worn, so it really is perfect, you know? This is, uh, again, uh, you know, a novice person's question, but... Um, Tell me why, out of all the, the jewelry makers, the costume jewelry makers, why do people clamor 
so much for Coco Chanel. Why do people clamor for it? Yeah, I, um, the money that I see when when a, when and it doesn't seem like pieces come up very often, um, but when I do see, I mean, there are thousands of dollars. Yeah, for you know, and I think to myself, and I, this is probably a very stupid thing. I think to myself, well, for a thousand dollars, I could have fine jewelry, I could have diamonds, I could, you know. But again, this is costume jewelry. Why is somebody paying a thousand dollars for the Coco Chanel cuff? She's an icon, you know, what What a force of nature, what a force of fashion, nature. I mean, she's just, she's so iconic, number one. Then you've got Paris, you know, you've got her whole story, you've got the glamour of Paris, and then you have her great um, designers um, like, you know, Robert Gusson, for example, and you, then you've got all that pâté de verre, you've got that gorgeous poured glass, and people go nuts for it, you know? And then you've got the whole sort of Byzantine thing going on and all that sort of look of antiquity combining it with that, and it's so outrageous and bold. And I think the whole package, and I don't get to see in St. Louis in person a lot of pâté de verre, that, um, you know, molten glass, but boy, when you see it, and we actually do, once again, coming to the auction, we have a gorgeous, uh, probably from Gripois, uh necklace, and boy, oh my gosh, you know, that is beautiful stuff. So I think it's that whole package that make people, makes people go crazy for anything Chanel. She is she. Would you find her to be kind of the mother of the costume jewelry industry? Yeah, people. You know, I've read a little bit about her in the past, and it seemed to me like she was kind of one of the leaders in 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 in, in creating, designing you know, for the costume. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was wondering if, if 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 and I think you just summed it up. Kind of what I was wondering is that because of who she is, what she represents. The kind of the, the, the fact that she was kind of the leaders, one of the forefront people in creating um, costume jewelry. Like I said, I don't know very much. I read just a little, but it's always piqued my curiosity. And, and a few times when I have seen um, Chanel jewelry that had come up at a you know like a, a, a 20th century design sale that wasn't a couture sale, still even with it not represented with you know great you know bags, great clothing, this that. It always seems to be found, and it always seems to go for a lot of money. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and she has that aesthetic sense that had a boldness to it, and and you know went with clothes, and yet she sort of said, you know, who needs necessarily uh, fine, you know, gemstones to make it? You know, we can we can do this great stuff with glass, and uh, and uh, you know. And, and again, you some great designers, you know, from Foucault de Vidura and and uh, Robert Gosson and all that. And so it's got that style equivalent, and yet the materials are fantastic, and you've got the colors. And then her rival Elsa Scaparelli too, you know, um, did that whole, you know, I mean, took costume jewelry to another level, you know. Wow. Well, I have to say that I've never seen a piece of Chanel jewelry that wasn't just, you know, uh huh. I know, breathtaking. Yeah, so, I, mean, I, I never saw anything. Let's let's say I never saw anything meek. You know, everything everything. Was no, meek. she was not meek. I had meek. Yeah. No, she wouldn't do meek. I don't think. <laughs> something else. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> I appreciate all of that insight because. You know, like I said, I see jewelry all the time. I love jewelry first and foremost, um, but I know that there's a lot of aspects of jewelry. I mean, I'm a, I'm a fine jewelry girl. I like modernism jewelry. I like a lot of Scandinavian jewelry. I like oh, yeah. Silver. I see a lot of costume jewelry, and I've bought it and sold it over the years, but I've never bought I've never been somebody who was willing to plunk down a large amount of money because I knew what I didn't know. 
Yeah, and uh, so it's, it's it's very fascinating to me. And uh, but they're still great bargains, though. You know, keep your eye open. Hmm. I think that some of the stuff people sell, thinking, well, this is grandma's costume jewelry, and how much money could it be worth? Uh, and mm -hmm. I'm sure that stuff like that happens a good bit of the time. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I feel like we just scratched the surface. Well, you uh, guys made it really fun. Thanks a lot. Well, yeah. Kathy, do you have a website or do you have anything that people can find you on? Or do you want oh, people to you find, find you? find me everywhere. Um, I, well, I'm, <laughs> my, uh, my jewelry column is at Antique Trader, which is, you know, another SW Media Krause publication thing. So that's at Antique Trader. And then, um, if well, for Christmas, if you're looking for a great Christmas gift, you can just go to ChristmasTreePinsNet.com. I'm sorry, Christmas tree, what was that? ChristmasTreePins.com. I see, uh-huh. Yeah, and then check out the auction. <laughs> <That's what I'm laughs> well, the auction sounds yummy, and I like that you have something for everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's fun. I'm going to check it out. And I, I really, uh, brain, you know, I really think there's something there from Martin, too. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's pick out a Christmas gift from Martin. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, it's always a, a real pleasure speaking with someone that really knows their subject. And, and oh, thank you. This is absolutely no exception to that. It's been Thanks, a Martin. Real nice, real nice interview here. And uh, even though I didn't have much input, I listened to the whole thing, and, <laughs> and I'll listen to it more than once. But uh, you weren't multitasking. Huh? That's right. You, no, you not this time. Through our girl talk, our like <laughs> girl talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks a lot. Well, thank you very much. I and hope you both have a great weekend. Thank you. This thank is you. Martin Willis with Rain Haynes and Kathy Flood, and we're all signing off. Hey everyone, thanks very much for checking out the show today. And please do visit our companion site, antiqueauctionforum.com. Anybody can post there and feel free to join in the discussions or post links. Thank you, and again, we hope you enjoyed the show.